0: Hello, and welcome to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Isla Garcia, master's degree of nutrition science and registered dietitian, and I'm going to make weight loss realistic, sustainable, and uncomplicated for your busy lifestyle. On this podcast, me and my team of registered dietitians will decipher the latest nutrition research, dissect bad diets, and discuss social media trends for you so you can feel confident knowing what to eat to achieve your health goals. Research suggests that most weight loss programs aren't successful, but my experience has taught me that this is not because the participants aren't committed. It's because those diets are designed by non-nutrition professionals and center around severe restrictions. We are here to provide the facts about the science of weight loss, so you can have the success you want and continue living your best life. Welcome back to the Millennial Nutritionist Podcast. I'm really excited to announce another fun guest we have today, Melissa Shankman. Um, She approached me a while back um, about interviewing me for her um, great company or platform for millennials. Um, And from there, I just started following her and have really, really been interested in her content and how she um, shows different health aspects that we don't really talk about the millennial nutritionist since we really focus on just nutrition, since that's what we're experts in. Melissa really has a really awesome approach to how she educates millennials. So I really just wanted to kind of pick her brain and see like what else is out there for millennials and what they've been struggling with nutrition, because she really really looks at like everything it seems like on a health perspective. So thank you so much for joining us, Melissa. Thank you for having me. So I'll I'll kind of give you the floor because I feel like you're such a good speaker. Um, Can you maybe like introduce yourself or even further explain like what Why My Health is and like how you even like came about all that stuff?
1: Sure. My name is Melissa Shankman, as you said, and I am the founder of Why My Health, which is uh, healthcare stories for Generation Y. So specifically, we're talking about millennials who are ages 24 to 40, which includes both of us (laughs) as well. Um, I got started because I always really had a love um, and fascination for health and science from a really young age, starting pretty much in elementary school. And I was able to learn really early on, even um, in my own experience with having high cholesterol, finding out around eight years old, how that diet um, and exercise and different things that you do can impact your health. And I would see different stories over time in um, the media in elementary school that kind of made me think you know I should really change maybe the way I'm doing things and I thought what a, this power of being able to communicate that information to people is really 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 special it can be really unique and I also always really loved journalism and writing and so I wanted to see how I could combine the two so I ended up my background's in journalism um it's also in health and science I uh, have a master's in public health uh, in behavioral science and health education, and during my uh, time there and and after my master's program, I did a lot of research in childhood obesity prevention and looking again at messages and television messages in particular and their impact on your motivation, as far as your eating, your exercise, um, and things like that. And so I always just really was interested in this this power of health and communication, and about, let's see, back in 2015 is when really um, why my health was born. And the way it kind of all happened is at the time um, I was in a graduate program uh, at Northwestern at Medill, and people said to me, "Well, given your background, you should really start a medical news network." And and I said, "Well, that's a little bit <laughs> too too uh, too broad to do at the time, and and we need a substantial amount of financial backing." But I started having this interest in interviewing people that were in my age group about different health conditions and kind of telling their stories in different ways. And so the way I got started with that is I did some research in Chicago, found um, Lydia Nash-Sharp, who was a law student at the time, had been diagnosed with thyroid cancer in her early 20s. And I found her through a blog she was writing. And it turned out that she couldn't find anybody else in their 20s who was diagnosed with this. This was several years ago, obviously. And she was really interested in sharing her story with us, which we ended up doing on video and making a medical animation about the thyroid gland and how it worked and thyroid cancer. But what I learned from her and I've learned a lot since and how, why my health went down this path and in its creation is that there really wasn't anything out there in terms of health content that was relevant to people who were in their 20s and 30s. It was mainly geared toward people who were under 18 and who are over 50. And so with each person that I would interview starting with Lydia, they would say to me after I would show them a final piece, whether it was video or if it was written content, they would say, you know, I really wish when I had been diagnosed with this condition that someone had showed me a video of someone like myself or someone had showed me a medical animation of how this part of my body works and what's gonna happen. But I couldn't find anything like that at the time and how it was relevant to me and so that really gave me tremendous amount of motivation to try and build something bigger and that's really how why my health um, came to be and has continued on into multiple forms of media we have videos we have medical animations we have a blog that tackles all different kinds of topics um, in relation to health that are specific to what would be of interest to millennials um, out there. And that's how I found you. <laughs> because um, at the time, uh, a friend of mine gave me an idea about taking and writing something that would focus on what challenges all of us were facing during the pandemic. And now, as we transitioned, even though the pandemic is still ongoing, but as we transitioned back into an office environment, whether it be hybrid a couple days a week or full time, people were gonna struggle with mental health issues. People who had changed their diets, which is why um, we had reached out to you and had gained healthy habits were going, now that I have to commute an hour and a half a day, how am I gonna maintain these patterns? Or individuals who had now developed these great exercise habits too, how am I gonna maintain that? And just struggling with a lot of different emotions around all these things.
0: Uh, And so we tackle, a lot of different topics. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Um, so it sounds like, um, from an early age, like really being interested in health, like what triggered you to really be interested in that? Like first thing with childhood obesity, just because I feel like, um, I mean, there's so many different facets of health. I mean, that's why there's so many disciplines like within health with people who are more interested in like different parts. And I mean, even thinking about like all the different types of doctors out there, what do you think like caused you to be starting to be interested in that since it's so relevant to like nutrition? A lot
1: of it, it began with personal experience. So I had this high cholesterol. I also struggled with my weight as I got later on into middle school, early high school. And then I found running um, another, I'd say, up there very much with, with health, one of my, my greatest passions, um, as all my friends know. And so I discovered through running, it made a huge difference in maintaining my weight. It hit, made actually a big difference in maintaining my cholesterol levels as well. And so I thought it was really interesting how all of this. Connected and I wanted to learn from a scientific perspective how it did. And I was wondering if I could change my ways. I wonder if there's a way to get others to see this, the value of this knowledge, and to have it motivate them. And so that's where I became really interested in this area and ended up pursuing that, uh, studying high schoolers actually. So it would have been uh, people at the time, would have been. Uh, individuals now who I would say are between 29 and 33 now, but back then were in high school. So also part of our generation.
0: Cool. Cool. Okay. So like, it sounds like you're saying that, um, like just like understanding how much better you felt by like taking control of your health and being able to hopefully like reverse or stop the high cholesterol, um, from continuing that you wanted to kind of like translate that to help others. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Um, why do you feel like there is that like gap between older adults and like, I guess like pediatrics, like why isn't there a lot educating people who are our age or our generation? Well, part of that is
1: what I think is the biggest misconception of all is that if you are a millennial, you are young and invincible and someone looks at you and you look healthy. They can't see anything. A lot of the time on the outside, it would make them think that there's any health. issue at all. And so I think with this misconception, there's a thought that there isn't an audience out there in need of this content. And so they gear it more towards those kids who are much younger to try and make it uh, content creators in a way that's understandable for them. And then you see, okay, the people who are 50 and above, they have high blood pressure and all you hear about and high cholesterol and, and much, much more and cancers and different things are much more prevalent in those populations and so there's a thought that okay that's where the content and the information need to go but these 20 and 30 somethings they don't have anything to worry about so we don't need to focus on them
0: oh okay gotcha so it's more like it sounds like you're saying as like a society or just like media in general more focused on educating like once something's already happened instead of like preventative care is that right yes yes and that's
1: one of the biggest I think Biggest challenges, and hopefully, will change over time. Is that's kind of society wise? That's what we, we call really the the paradigm in health. Like that's the 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 thought process about health in our society overall, which which I think ha- is changing, thankfully. Uh, especially given our generation, I will say has a big role in that. But the idea is let's fix something once it's broken instead of let's prevent something from becoming broken. And so uh, that's, yes, I think that's, that's a big reason why.
0: Yeah. I see that all the time. That's a big reason why I started the millennial nutritionist because I started working in a hospital as a clinical dietitian, which like a lot of times into life, like it, well, once you're older, that's a lot of the people who end up in the hospital and, that's who like has the high, you know, strokes from long-term hypertension or from dementia, maybe from that as well, or like cancer. And it's like, by that point, like nutrition can only really be used to manage the disease. Like, okay, let's like get you eating more. So you're not malnourished, but like we could have spent so many years before trying to prevent, but like you can't now. So um, that's the same thing with me. That's why I really started this because like you said, it seems like why help people when they like are within a healthy range or like not quite like over the obesity mark, but maybe like getting there. And it's because that makes such a huge difference if we're able to kind of change now and then decrease um, like health costs and and stress later down the line. So that's really cool that we kind of like believe the same thing, I feel like. Do you love our realistic approach on nutrition, but wanna dive a little bit deeper? Let me tell you about the Millennial Living Membership Program. This was designed to help you stay motivated and inspired no matter what health journey you're on. We develop monthly nutrition and fitness challenges with prizes you can win if you stick with it to help motivate you through every month. To inspire you, we upload weekly recipes with downloadable food lists, monthly food demos, and we can even have a registered dietitian answer your questions on nutrition and weight loss. Our members form a community with other like-minded people to help support each other on their health journey. If you are seeking a way to stay motivated throughout your health journey with our method in mind, try signing up for the Millennial Living Membership Program for the first two weeks free by signing up on our website at themillennialnutritionist.com. What about the name? So why my health, I've always wondered that. Like, where does that kind of come from? I was
1: trying to come up with a name and one day I was running <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. And one of the things I thought about is what is really, what's the purpose of all of this? And one of the purposes is I, I think we as a generation, we are such on the go busy people with really limited time on our hands. And my thought was when someone sees an article about anything in relation to health um, on my site or, or anywhere else, As a millennial, they're going to think, why is my health important? Why should I take time for my health? And it came to me, these are the questions they're going to be asking themselves that I'm going to have to be showing them this is why we should say, why my health? And that's where it came from. And then knowing, obviously, that we're also considered generation Y, it worked uh, perfectly with that as well. But yeah, that's where it came from, is how do we answer that question of why, why my health? Why should that be a priority?
0: Cool, cool. Okay, yeah. I think that's exactly what I think too. Cause I feel like, yeah, a lot of people are age. Or I feel like younger, like maybe like younger millennials are young, like the next generation down, the Gen Z. Um, like it's hard to think when you're like that young in college, like, oh, nothing matters. I can eat whatever I want, like your metabolism is high. Why would I care? And why will you care about your health, but I think that's awesome that um, that's what the name means and that's why I would think that um, it means. All right, what about like so I think it's so cool I feel like if I were to like split my life in different ways, I would love to like do what you do and interview all these like people honestly just for my like own um, like interests as well, like what. Cause you just like cover so many topics. Like it's easy for me since I just cover like nutrition. When you interview these people or like when, even when you're thinking about like millennials and what they need to hear as a whole, do you feel like there's topics that millennials need to hear like more about, but isn't out there already? Or like, do you feel like there's any gaps that like you try to hone in on or what about that?
1: Absolutely. There are definitely, um, from our analytics, um, a lot of topics that are out there, um, that you don't, that there's, there's a gap. Um, of missing information that millennials are interested in. The biggest one that we find is um, cancer. Anything that's cancer related, anytime we promote any material, regardless of whether it's a video or it's a written piece, we always get our highest numbers. Um, And so that really tells me that millennials are out there looking for information on cancer that is specifically related to our age group because they're not finding it. That's a big one. Um, and And there are a lot of constantly, unfortunately, but constantly, a lot of stories in the media as time has gone on about that. And I think that also plays into it to it too. Um, trying to figure out and make health decisions about cancer prevention and things like that. Is this really relevant to me um, in my 20s and 30s? Uh, another one is mental health. Anything in relation to, to mental health, I think, is something that people want more of that are that in our age group, specifically things that they strategies that they can take from that article and do. Um, I think people are struggling with lots of different things. They wanna see others that are struggling with those things um, as well. And that really resonates with them. And so um, there's definitely a lot of interest there. I think with COVID, in addition to that, you know, COVID specific things related to mental health, but also how it's affecting millennials in other ways in all professions um, and in particularly in healthcare, to showing that healthcare uh, professionals are also dealing with some of the same struggles that those of us who just are not in that profession, but who are of the same age group are dealing with. Um, we found that a lot. We have a, a COVID-19 story series that that highlights uh, essential workers who are millennials and, and what their experience has been like working during the time of the pandemic. So we found that as well. The other big one is really complementary health. Um, our generation is very open to trying new things um, to improve their health and different alternatives. And so we've uh, tried to provide content on things like chiropractic care, yoga, uh, and meditation. And I think they're, they're looking for not only how does that help their health, but how do I fit that in to my very busy life? Uh, and so we try to, to talk about that as well. Um, so those are three really big ones. Uh, one other I would say, which, which leads up to, to February, is really heart health you just don't see a lot of material in relation to millennials on, on heart health. And I've had some good responses from that
0: so far. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I feel like like your Instagram and the blog and everything that I think they do really good. And even for me, like sometimes like some of these things do sound like old people diseases. Like when I think about like, well, my grandpa suffers with like, like hypertension, I don't need to worry about it. Or like, he has like heart disease. Like why, why should I care? It's just something that happens. Right. Um, but then when like, I see you, like you're really able to connect it. I think more to this like crucial time where we can really prevent these things from happening. Um, I think that's really awesome. And just want to continue to direct people over there. But as you were kind of describing that, I think one thing I was thinking is like, so like maybe like, especially with like cancer. And I I think we'll try to dive into heart health here in a minute, but, um, like why, why should millennials care about it? Like, what do you think, or what have you found?
1: Part of it is that it's no longer an old person's disease. And so one one of the things is that you don't want to be an alarmist. You want to be somebody who's promoting awareness. And so in our, in Why My Health, we're trying to promote that awareness and let you know that there are millennials and, and plenty of them out there who are getting diagnosed with different types of cancers. And it's not something that's uncommon. And so it's important to know those symptoms and those signs so that if there's something that you're not used to, instead, which is what a lot of millennials do, we put it off and say, oh, well, I'm just tired or I'm just something else because I'm really busy. And so by the time you do, which happens with a lot of people, end up at the doctor, it's things progress much further if it is something. I'm not saying that it necessarily is, but it's just good to know what those signs and symptoms are what to pay attention to, have that information so that you can go talk to your doctor about it. Um, I think that that's really important instead of always saying, okay, I can't possibly have anything because I'm under age 50. (laughs) And so I think that's um, one of the important things. Also, I think there there are different things that we can do and to really help ourselves in terms of prevention. I think there's a lot of confusion um, about cancer screenings. And so we try and address some of that um, as well. And that's really important knowledge. Whether or not you need one obviously is something you're going to decide with your doctor in the end, but at least having that knowledge to go have that conversation instead of saying, oh no, again,
0: I'm under 50. <laughs> I don't need that. Because that's not always necessarily the case. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great that you focus on those things because I didn't realize, like, like for me, I know, um, because I used to work working in the hospital. I actually worked on a, um, a hospital uh, that was like super oncology, like focused. And it was like, I was so scared every day I was going to get cancer from seeing like everybody that I saw through there. <laughs> and so I was always, you know, thinking like, what should I do? And a lot of it does come down to like things that you, like some of it you can't control, but like some of them you can control. Um, and we learn in school, like a lot of the things that you can, like some of the cancers can possibly be prevented through like improved nutrition. Um, but I didn't realize like when we were kind of talking before that you said that even like that people are, it's not even like just about prevention, but it's also about like just some people are getting more diagnosed earlier. Like you're saying that, um, would you say thyroid is like the highest, like being diagnosed now for people our age? That's so crazy.
1: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, thyroid's a big one. Um. You know, it's, it's still considered over the past couple of years, the most common cancer in women who are between the ages of 20 and 34. Um, incredibly, the other one that you will see a lot in the press is really colorectal cancer. Uh, there are constantly, there are multiple studies, I feel like, that come out each year talking about this. Um, I know recently there was one that was saying that, um, and this was, this was in the, uh, uh, one of the American Association for Cancer Research, a big association, one of their journalism was saying that they found that young patients you know, between the ages of 20 and 29 have had uh, the highest increases in rates of new colon cancer cases um, being diagnosed and are more likely to have, when they are diagnosed, it be at a higher stage. Um, and that was something that came out recently. I know a little less than a year ago, In April 2021, in the Journal of American Medical Association, there was another big study that was talking about the age group between 20 and 49, so a few years after the millennial group, of where we're all heading (laughs) eventually, and that, you know, in 20 to 49-year-olds, that colorectal cancer was estimated to become the leading cause of cancer-related deaths by 2030. That's pretty astounding. Wow. Yeah, so those are two. Those are two big ones, which is why we try and focus on those, um,
0: especially. But but yes, why do they think that's increasing so much? That's crazy. I don't think that yeah, I even learned about that in school. That must be like really new. They're still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: honestly, uh, I just talked with a fellow millennial who's a, a medical oncologist, a GI oncologist um, at Cleveland Clinic recently, Dr. Sunil Kamath, and we'll be be featuring him in one of our blogs in March. He was saying they're still trying to figure they keep you keep seeing these increases. You heard a lot about overall cancer is decreasing because you have more and more screens, but not necessarily in our age group. Those are the people who are over 50 that they've seen over the decades. Um, And so they're trying to figure out what it is. The two big things that I know um, have been talked about, I'd say, in the past five years are really the diet overall not every millennial but overall um we don't have the best diets it has to do with less fiber in the diet or more processed foods and of course you're talking about the white as you know even even more so than i the all that that the white bread and the white pastas and all that type of stuff that's one of the of the big factors and also um some of it has to do with with more people having sedentary lifestyles so sitting more most of us have jobs where we are at a computer every day and we have to make movement part of our day which is is such an important thing but also that's a factor that's contributing but they're really still studying this because they just can't quite put their finger on it yet
0: as to, as to why these numbers are increasing. Wow. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. And, um, I always want to make sure my facts are right. Cause yeah, like color, when we learn in school, like colorectal cancer is one that is heavily tied with nutrition. Cause not all cancers, like you can't like prevent all of them with nutrition, but there are some that are are heavily linked and yeah, decreased fiber intake does like, is associated with an increased colorectal cancer risk. Um, but yeah, that's crazy that like it's happening so much sooner. Um, And it's also crazy because I feel like as a generation, I feel like we would think that we're healthier because like, as things are like coming about, then, um, we are like more diets are getting in place. But even like from what I do day to day, I see that, like, honestly, it seems like it's just like causing us a lot of confusion because a lot of like non-nutrition professionals are coming out with crazy diets and it's causing people to have like all or nothing mindsets and they're not even really focusing on health. They're more so focusing on weight loss, which you can definitely lose weight without being healthy. And so it ends up just like making like all this like mixed messaging, um, a little bit off the grid question, but what I thought about was like, what, why do you feel like it's important that like millennials or people in general, get information from like trusted sources? Or like, what does that even mean? Because I feel like there's so much information out there. And maybe that's like a problem. Like, how should they figure out like what to listen to, I guess, or like, where are good sources?
1: That's a very important question. And something that I can definitely answer for you, (laughs) not only as in my capacity as a founder of Why My Health, but also in my my other roles professionally, um, as a writer at different organizations, because part of my job working for nonprofits and and now for a global organization is really when I create, I create patient content for all ages and in my in my other day job. And when you do that, you have to have sound sources that you're coming from. And so a couple of things I would say is, first of all, if you, part of the problem with the internet, if you you Google something, you're going to sometimes end up with these, in these chat rooms with patients and different things. And you'll see like these random you can look at that by all means, but that is not your sound source of information necessarily to take your facts from because one, everybody's experience is different. And two, you don't know where that information really comes from, where they looked up certain things, if they're, they're actually giving out information or um, if it's just essentially something that they heard from a friend of a friend. And, and so you can't go by that. The big things I would say and that I always go to in my work. Um, or a couple. Mayo Clinic, very reliable. Cleveland Clinic, very reliable. If you want to go, and I know this may be something that will be definitely new to the audience, but if you go to something called PubMed, so yes, you, I had a feeling would be familiar with this, Isla, but um, for those of us, those millennials who are in the the finance and business world um, and other professions that are non-healthcare, this is a great place. It's run um, by really, I think, by the the government, but also I think NIH has been involved in the National Library of Medicine kind of has its own thing as well. It's a great place. If you want sound scientific information about any type of health condition, that is a place to search. Um, That's another one. You can find journal articles. There are some journal articles that are not behind paywalls that you can access as a a public citizen um, without being part of an organization and really get um, great information there. Another place, American Cancer Society, really great place to go, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, obviously, National Institutes of Health. And there's so many different divisions I couldn't even begin to name (laughs) um, of the National Institutes of Health. They all have websites. All their content has been looked at by experts, you know, PhDs, MPHs, um, MDs, and has been reviewed before it ever sent out uh, to the public. So those are places when I'm creating content that I rely on not only for why my health, but in, in my other professional roles um, as a writer for organizations. And, and I would say one of the things we try to really do with Why My Health Too is always link to that particular article where things are coming from. And I think that's really important. If you can't, that's another telltale sign. If you are reading something and there's no reference to where it's coming from, then it is not really a sound source of your health information.
0: Good. Yeah. And I think even for people who don't know, cause I think I always say too, I'm like, this is what the research says. This is what the research says. And I feel like some people think that it's like, I'm like, okay, why are you saying that all the time? It's like, because I can't have any information that's like not found in research, but like, maybe could you give like a brief overview or like just an explanation into like, why should we care about what the research says? Or why do things need to be like peer reviewed? Cause I think a lot of people think that like, why can't I listen to somebody who's like overcome cancer by like, I don't know, having just like turmeric every day. Like, why isn't that a sound piece of information?
1: I think that you have to have a certain number of people to be able to have a treatment be successful. For example, you know you have a medication that's on the market. It wouldn't be out on the market if a certain number of people that, a group of scientific researchers who all they do for a living is research and study the side effects and the, the good effects of drugs on groups of people who have different conditions it wouldn't be out there for you to take it, and so what happens in one person is very different than what happens in a hundred people or a thousand people, um, and I think that's why it's so important. And then far as peer review, you have to have people be objective, um, who are not. You know, when you talk to reviewers, you're talking about other people who are also scientists, um, typically. Um, in the same field, but they were not involved in a study of a particular drug, whatever, or or treatment, anything that's being studied. They weren't there. They weren't conducting it. They weren't working with the the patients, participants involved. Um, And so they have this fresh set of eyes to objectively look and see, okay, is what, you know, are what the results that we're being told, are they valid? The way the study was set up, are there, is there anything that, you know, any red flags here that doesn't make this information that we're about to provide to the public um, not be correct and and not wanna share it with them and confuse them. So it's really important to have the right people with the right experience looking at the information and know that your information is coming from people like that because as important and powerful as patient stories are and they are. When it comes to Making a decision about your own healthcare, whether you're going to try a certain treatment, whether you're going to get a certain screening, you really have to know what thousands of people think and what a doctor who's had, you know, seen 10,000 patients, let's say, who have gone through this particular condition says, as opposed to just that one person in a chat room who had this work for them. Not that it can't work for you necessarily, but you're better to start with the other
0: first who has a
1: lot more experience. So that's why it's so important.
0: Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Cause I say that with clients who maybe come to me that have like hormone disorders, I think, especially this kind of comes up, um, especially the with thyroid stuff. And they're like, okay, well, what about this supplement? And what about this? I'm like, okay, but like, time and time again in the research, like these basic things are covered, like eating more fruits and vegetables, exercising, like stress reduction. So we have to cover that first because the research across the board, like that comes up most commonly for people who solve these problems. And then we can kind of trickle in like fun stuff, but we've got to cover the basics of what research says first. And I think you really, really well answer the question of like why we should care about all the research. So with like all that information, how do you cater information to millennials? So like if people go over and follow your page, um, like how how do you take all this information and make sure like millennials are interested or like it's applicable to them compared to like other, other I guess, like venues?
1: The first thing is by knowing them. So being a millennial myself, amazingly, I can now say <laughs> um, in the oldest group of millennials, so I, I am turned 40. And so I have already been, I know what it's like to be in your 20s. I know what it's like to be in your 30s. And so now I'm with that group who is, the first to turn that age of our of generation Y. And I think, you know, having friends that are in their 20s now and of all ages of their 30s who live in different states around the country. I have friends who are in different professions, many who are not in the healthcare profession or in communication, to really bounce ideas off of and to they give, you know, to get feedback from and our content. And a lot of them will come to me and say, I don't see information about this particular health topic, you should really see about pursuing this story. And that's a huge help in allowing me to really keep my finger on the pulse of the millennial community and provide that type of information that is quality information that are things that we wanna know. So I have my own ideas and and obviously, but try to, to make sure that from my own research and my own personal experience that I have incorporate those things in in creating content, coming up with ideas. But in that process, I'm always seeking out others to test out and see, am I hitting these ideas right? And so I I think that that's one of the ways. Um, The other big things are really knowing us as a group of people. You have to know that we are very on the go people. Most of us have more than one job. If we're being honest, our time is very limited. A lot of people are balancing a lot of things. Some of us are raising young kids and balancing that with work. We're moving to different cities um, in our generation constantly in comparison to in our parents' generation. And so kind of looking at the whole picture helps me to know what type of information would be relevant and how to make it so it would fit into your life um, and the other things that you're that you're doing. Um, for us, we make sure and I would say only really early on and why my health um, journey did I have I think one or two experts who were non-millennials but pretty much since then everyone that I interview in any capacity of expertise whether it was for yoga <laughs> um, or if it's for for something as scientific we we interviewed uh, a fellow millennial for our COVID-19 series who was doing research um, on one of the treatments for COVID-19. We interview someone who's between age 24 and 40. We also take and interview um, any patients who have a condition, they're also a millennial. And I think this is really important because we all have these shared life experiences, whether you're the professional in healthcare or you're in business and you're seeking out this health information, And that makes a difference in being able to provide information that's meaningful to us. And we're really looking for information that is in a variety of different formats, which is why we offer that. We're looking for stuff that is quick, easy to access. And we wanna understand like the most relevant core points because we're limited on our time, but we want things that we can take, you know, have takeaways um, to use. And so those are kind of all the ways that we go about creating content in a way that is going to be something that somebody between
0: 24 and 40 is going to be looking for. Yeah. Okay, cool. So I feel like what I kind of got from what you're saying is that first, like, yeah, like your personal experience, like you are kind of like your ideal audience member, it sounds like, and I kind of have the same approach with like, trying to like listen to like what's going on culturally, like what's going on, like on the TV and stuff like that. So I can know like how to give information that is actually like helpful to people, but then also getting those sources from people who are also our generation so that we're combining that like expert level of information along with like the practical, like this is kind of how it looks in a daily walk with people who are millennials. Is that like what you're saying? Exactly.
1: Because if you don't have someone who knows what I call the daily balancing act (laughs) that we have, that you have all these multiple other things that you're juggling, even the way, kind of the way we do things, you know, in terms of going out and meeting somebody at a coffee shop or dating or wanting to go, you know, go to concerts and things like that when, um, especially pre-pandemic, you know, doing all those types of things where if we have a health condition that's happening at the same time, how we're going to have to adjust that Whatever it may be, or if we've changed our diet, or if we need to incorporate exercise in the day for a certain reason, like we need someone to understand that it's just not so easy. We may not have that hour to do what maybe our parents used to have. And so, without the 24 7 connectedness of the internet from our jobs, too. And so, I think having somebody else who actually experiences that in their life. Makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference in the information that they're going to provide you with, and we have so many examples of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Because you're like really combining like almost like the influencer-esque person, like who like is like I think people like like to resonate with influencers because they feel like one of them, like they like kind of understand, but they don't have like a lot of the times the education or the the expertise to be able to trust them as a source. So it's kind of like it sounds like you're getting like a two for one with the people that you interview, which is cool. Um, so kind of honing in, we wanted to make sure to highlight, um, one of Melissa's, she does like great series that I think are really interesting to, um, read and look at. So it's not like you're just going to get like one very shallow, um, like a uh, piece of information. You're going to get like some in-depth things that you do well with breaking it up so you know to like keep it not so it's going to be like a super long blog post but keep it bite-sized um and one thing um it's February when we're recording right now and so it's heart health month so we kind of want to talk a little bit about like what Melissa's been looking at as far as this topic so like just like broadly like why do you think the millennials should even care about heart health because it does seem like one of those diseases that's like an old people disease I mean I do get a lot of clients who have high cholesterol I actually have high cholesterol or had it my husband also has it um, but it always seems like kind of like a distant thing to worry about. Like, why should millennials worry about this now?
1: Absolutely, and that and that is something that I have gone from talking with people as well. The reason that you really need to care about it now is that, as Dr. Harkin and I were, which I'm going to talk about her in a moment, um, we're we're really talking about is 50 is not as long way off as you think it may be. Uh, yes. <laughs> Even if you're 20s and heart health is really something that impacts our longevity. It can impact our quality of life. And I think what's really great about it in particular is that for those of us who are in our 20s, 30s and newly minted 40, um, we have the ability to really control our heart health destiny. And I think knowing that and having the tools to do that is very empowering. And you can't always say that about different things. And I think we are really a generation that if we're given the knowledge and we're given the tools, we feel much more motivated to take the time to do something that's going to result in a, in a really good outcome in the end um, health-wise. And so that's why I think it's really important. And I, I just have not seen, as I said, very much out there on this topic. So I was really excited to, to start on this.
0: Cool. Okay. So again, just like coming back to the preventative aspect of like, it is one of the, the diseases that, um, you can like have a little bit more control over. And so that's why we should be like stepping in now to, um, to work on this. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. And I guess like, so from what you've been researching so far, like what have you learned about it? Um, I guess like starting from the top, like how do we even like get these conditions? Um, like, is it like just inevitable from genetics or like, is it from like certain choices we make for our health? Like, where do we even start? Sure. So the first thing, first place I would start is a really
1: interesting piece of research that I found many years ago that has stuck with me because it was so interesting. And this was back in night, believe it or not, this was a study that was done and published in 1953 before all of the ideas of prevention were out there and it was basically the first time that the idea of lifestyle choices came out in terms of their impact so it was three U.S. army pathologists and they were looking at these soldiers who had fought in the Korean war and they were, were taking and treating them and um at the time and 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 basically and and some of them unfortunately were casualties of that as well so both and they published Findings that describe these frequent signs of advanced atherosclerosis, which is hardening of the arteries, buildup of cholesterol, and fatty plaques in your arteries, in these soldiers with an average age of 22. And this was 1953. And you're saying, how can these 22 year olds have this 50 something plus disease? Um, And so this was a big deal. And so the idea that this can start in your teenage years, depending what you eat depending what your family history is. And then it's already there in your twenties. It's already there in your thirties. And so, you know, it's not waiting until you're 50 (laughs) to come into your arteries. So I think that was one of the first things is like, this is not a old person's disease. This is a, it can affect any age disease depending on what, what you eat and what you do and your family history. There are all these factors and we need to know about what these factors are. You know, the other thing that that I really learned um, in the process of of this series of of blogs is that most millennials don't go to the cardiologist until they have a problem or even really ask much about their heart health until they have a problem. And I think that's very interesting. And Dr. Nicole Harkin, who is also a fellow millennial and a cardiologist and cholesterol specialist um, out in California, she's with a whole heart cardiology, her practice. That I interviewed, she told me she wished that more patients would come in with this preventive mindset and wanting to know how can I prevent. You know, I'm doing great now, or at least I think I'm doing great now. I'm coming to see you. How can I prevent heart disease in the future? Instead, it's I'm having a pain. Am I <laughs> am I okay? Why is it happening? And the big one she said is um, palpitations that a lot of millennials come in for, um, which are typically something that is is not serious. You know, you can have palpitations or like a fluttering of your, your heart, fast beating of your heart, and it can happen from all kinds of things like stress, having too much caffeine. But of course, we haven't felt anything before. A lot of us we go, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, there there could, you know, is there a problem? I need to go see the cardiologist. So that's that's another thing. Um, and I think, you know, in working with her and, and, and doing research in this area is really, you know, studies have shown that that individuals who consume more of the ultra processed foods have a higher risk um, of death from cardiovascular disease. And that's because these foods tend to be higher in sugar and salt and saturated fat and lower in fiber and vitamins and supplements, which would actually help the heart. And I think knowing all of this and seeing that there is something, there are multiple things that we can do still at this point in our lives, was something that made me think, okay, we need to explore this more. And it it really, and to your question um, about, is it genetic? Is it lifestyle? It's both. It can really be both. So in terms of genetic, you're really looking more at things that I have in my own family, high blood pressure, runs in multiple people on one side, high cholesterol, (laughs) runs in multiple people on one side, you know you're looking at things which also would be in relation to that did anybody have a heart attack early in the family there's that as well and so i think if you have those things that run in your family are you more susceptible very possible it depends also though how close those relatives are to you and we talk about that you're looking more at the first degree relatives which is really like your parents um as opposed to say your grandparents or your aunt or your cousin and those kind of factor in more, you know, that's a big part. And then also having this unhealthy lifestyle for those of us who are more into our processed and packaged foods and, um, and other foods that really are unhealthy for the heart, um, if that's what you're eating every day or that that makes up the majority of your diet, absolutely that can impact you. If you're somebody that is not exercising, at all or very little during your week, then that can also impact your heart uh, as well. And that, that plaque, which is ultimately what leads to narrowing arteries that can lead to high blood pressure and to heart attacks, and it really affects so many things that's going to be impacted by those lifestyle choices. So it's really both. It depends, of course, what your, fam- you know, if you have family history, in which case your unhealthy diet will outweigh the other.
0: (laughs) So yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, okay. So you're saying it's a combination or you found that it's a combination of genetics, but then also, um, like the, the lifestyle part. And so what can we kind of like pull from that as a nugget of hope? Like, how are you finding like any, any ways to prevent it? Like now when we're millennials, as opposed to just like treating it or God forbid, like dying of a heart attack randomly, like in our 50s or 60s, what are the solutions?
1: Well, one thing I would say is it's really important in terms of awareness to know your family history. If you don't know your family history of heart disease, you know, if there is any at all, we have um, an entire blog dedicated to this about questions you should ask your family. And then if you have specific things, whether it's high blood pressure or heart attacks or high cholesterol, just to take note of those and talk with your doctor about that, because that can also play a big role in what you need to do today to prevent it. It doesn't necessarily mean, and I've had talks about this with a cardiologist myself, it doesn't necessarily mean if your family has a particular condition, you're 100% gonna get this condition. You have the power to take and and to to change that and improve your heart health. It's not always, as they say, a done deal. You still have that ability. And what are those ways you can do? really? First of all, and and you're the expert in this area, diet. Diet is a big one. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I talked with Dr. Harkin about was was really diet. She's a huge fan of the plant-based diets, which I know are very popular amongst millennials, and that's a good thing (laughs) um, because they are, are really healthy for the heart as opposed to, you know, if you're eating obviously a diet of fast food or you're having meats constantly that aren't lean meats or sugar. Or as we talked about before, the process stuff. The more you have of that, it's only going to lead. You know, whether there's family history involved or not, over time, it's just going to lead to a heart that's not as healthy. Um, that's just it's going to build plaques. It it really is, and it's all and it's just a matter of how how much it builds and how fast it builds. And so there are ways, and you can definitely, you know, again, as an expert, you can do lots of things in moderation. You don't have to give up, you know, all the foods that you love, but you have to do, it's a balance. You have to balance it. Um, and it will make a difference. And then the other thing is really exercise and making it a top priority. And this is something I think we really have a lot of power in right now because the meaning of what exercise has been has shifted and given us even more opportunities than ever before during the pandemic, which I really think will continue as time goes on because we have all these virtual fitness options. And for those of us who are busy, and, and I will say just, we have a blog, specific blog dedicated to this that um, I recommend checking out with a, a millennial who's a fitness trainer who talks about she she transferred, it made her business go completely virtual um, as a personal trainer and how successful it's been and that people, Originally, those of us we always felt like, okay, we have to go to the gym. That's the only way that we can get exercise in. And now there, you know, you go from say five ways to fifty ways to do it. And I think having that is going to be really helpful for us because one of the things Dr. Harkin talks about is yes, you ideally you would like to get in those 150 minutes of moderate to intense exercise during the week, but you don't get all 150 minutes in at the same time, and you can split it up. And there now all these different I I even do myself, you know, there's 15 minutes of virtual Pilates. Surely within an entire day, each of us can find 15 minutes. And so all of that really adds up during the week. And so she was also talking about not only, you know, we were talking about both these, all these options, but also all the different types. So you're not just talking about going out and running. You're talking about Pilates, resistance training, swimming, if you like to swim, hiking, if that's something that you enjoy doing, go and hike. There are just lots of different ways and that's all going to contribute to making a difference and where your heart health will land in 20, you know, years from now or if you're like me, in 10 years from <laughs> from now, um, it, it can really make a difference. So there are things we can do um, absolutely to, to improve our heart health.
0: Yeah, I know. And that is definitely, definitely the exciting part I think is knowing that you do have like that control over it. I mean, yeah, it may like stink if you're like genetically predisposed to just like have a, um, you know, just kind of like didn't win the lottery with like heart health as far as like high cholesterol, because high cholesterol. I mean, at least for me, I've never been overweight, but I had high cholesterol growing up and so did my husband. And so like, it's not always connected with like your weight status. And so like making sure to get screened for it and then knowing like you can do some things and yeah, I mean, you hit it on the nail with nutrition part. Great job.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Thank you. No. And I, I really appreciate that. And I totally relate to what you're saying, because again, and I highly recommend people because it's the first one that I, that I know of for millennials, we have an entire piece dedicated to cholesterol. And in that, I talk a little bit about my own experience and kind of how this has led me to it. And I, like yourself, did not realize I always thought it was a weight thing. The weight was connected and it's not. And I think just even though I have, you know, we have that in the family, knowing that there are these other things that we can do to, to make it better, still enjoy some of those foods that I used to eat that led to the high cholesterol, but not every day, (laughs) Um, you know, that you can still, you can keep things, you know, keep your numbers um, at a a good place, you know, and and I think that that, you know, is a great, great thing to know and a great piece of knowledge.
0: Yeah, awesome. So, like, kind of Full circle, coming back to like how like as millennials, we should care about this because um, we are in a good state where we can now um, like reverse it or at least control it so it doesn't keep getting worse before it's to the place where we can't anymore. Is that what you feel like you're like trying to drive home?
1: Absolutely.
0: Good. Absolutely. Um, well, this has been really exciting to talk to you. I have really, really enjoyed it. And I feel like I could go on and on. So we'll definitely have to get you back. But I really want to bring you on to just show like my audience and everyone that like you are a trusted source. Like you do your research, you put in the time and the effort into like coming up with articles that millennials need to hear about. And then also that they're science backed. So a really trustworthy source compared to like just TikTok or something. (laughs) Um, Where can they find you if they're wanting to find solutions and just like more information about all the topics that we've talked about? Well, first of all, I want to thank you for
1: the privilege of coming on and getting to share what we're doing with with your audience as well and a couple places so first of all we completely we encourage you to come find us um, on social media we are at why my health Um, so that's capital y capital m lowercase y and then capital h and the rest is is lowercase health Um, you can find us at why my health on instagram twitter and facebook you can also visit our site which is ww.wymyhealth.com. And if you visit our subscribe tab, you can subscribe to our new uh, newsletter. um, And we encourage that as well. And if you have any story ideas of things that you would like to see more of, please reach out to us on any of our platforms or directly on our website. But yeah, you can find all of our content um, on our website. And one other place to look, we have our videos on our main website, but also we have a YouTube channel. That's Why My Health. And so uh, we would, love um, for you to subscribe to that as well. And to to check out our videos. Um, I think, especially I was going to say you will enjoy our medical animations.
0: (laughs) They're unique. So definitely check those out there. Great. Well, thank you so much for um, coming and educating us, Melissa. I really appreciate it. Bye. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Millennial Nutritionist podcast. For daily weight loss tips and nutrition information, you can find us on Instagram at the.millennial.nutritionist and on TikTok at millennial.nutritionist. If you find this information helpful, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with a friend who needs encouragement on their health journey. See you in the next episode.